Today is Tuesday, March 1st. Welcome to March, everybody. Hopefully, March comes with warmer weather. The title for our devotional is An Apostolic Disagreement. When it comes to being a community centered on truth, as we're talking about this week, it means being fully committed to the life and the teaching of Jesus. So what does that look like in a community of faith? The New Testament letters are full of examples for us to follow and explanations on the teaching of Jesus that help us know how to live according to Christ in the church today. That basically characterizes the entire New Testament, but we'll hone in on a couple of examples for the rest of the week. In Galatians 2, we see an example of the truth in operation within the community of the early church, even within the leadership of the early church. Paul ventures to Jerusalem to speak with the leaders of the church there. I've highlighted some of the passages below that I'd like to make some observations about. Let's begin by reading the passage here in Galatians 2. Again, if you're looking at this in the devotional, you'll see some passages highlighted to help you see it clearly. Galatians 2, beginning in verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised work also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus, in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. A couple of points on this text. Obviously, I read a lot, so I can't go through it in great detail. But first, 
Paul went up to meet with Peter, James, and John to discuss the truth of a revelation that he had received. He did, he did this to be sure that he wasn't exercised his ministry, quote, in vain. It's likely that Paul was convinced he was correct in his view of the gospel, whether the other apostles saw it that way or not. Yet he still went to confirm with them and walked away with their blessing in verse 9. That is the right hand of fellowship. And they added nothing to his gospel. This was the death blow to the circumcision party who taught that everyone needed to be circumcised and follow other laws from the Mosaic law upon conversion. Paul strongly disagreed and viewed the veracity of his claim as a preservation of the gospel itself, as we see in verse 5 and verse 21. In verse 6, Paul makes a brief comment that reminds us that these were real people in real social settings. Paul mentions that they were who they were makes no difference to him. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee in his former life. That means he was among the most religiously educated in Israel. His whole life was dedicated to knowing and teaching the scriptures. Peter, James, and John were formerly fishermen, common folk, who had little religious education apart from the basics of a Jewish household. This encounter had the potential to become a divisive moment that could have fractured the infant church. Paul was likely tempted to exercise his superior learning and prove to everyone in attendance that he was smarter than the other apostles. The apostles, on the other hand, could have felt threatened by Paul and used their position of power in the church to diminish him. Yet, grace prevailed. Both parties recognized the grace of God upon the other, as we see in verse 6 through 9. The apostles agreed with Paul and added nothing to his teaching. They extended to him the right hand of fellowship. Paul knew that God shows no partiality in his choice of leaders, in verse 6, and readily recognized their influence in the church. At other times in church history, an encounter like this one turned into a church schism. Think about Luther and the Protestant Reformation. In the conversation of truth, it is absolutely vital for us to do the same and to recognize the grace of God upon ourselves and upon one another. Thirdly, Paul even opposed Peter to his face. This was a direct public rebuke. I wish we had more details as to how Peter reacted in the ensuing conversations, but that is lost to the blank pages of history. Yet we can infer, since the church did not split and the apostles maintained unity, Peter responded favorably. Knowing what we know about Peter, he tended to be a little impulsive. Uh, as we see in Matthew 16, where he's the first to speak, and in John 21, where he's the first to dive into the water, he may not have responded well in the moment. But he eventually came around, and because of his commitment to the truth of the gospel, they maintained unity. This is, of course, conjecture to a degree, but it seems to be a safe one, since the church maintained its unity in this time. These three give us great insight as to how to maintain unity and yet remain committed to the truth of the gospel, speaking respectfully to one another, just as Paul went to Jerusalem to talk with the other apostles and to discern the truth of the matter with them, recognizing the grace given ourselves and to others, just as the apostles recognized the grace on Paul and Barnabas and Paul recognized the grace of God in choosing them to be the leaders of the church. And then finally, heeding rebuke while maintaining a sense of unity. All of these are very important for us to be a life-changing community built on the truth.